Puritans despised Quakers. Their focus on the inner light, through which God's Spirit could speak to anyone at any time, seemed like theological and social chaos. In the early colonial period, preaching Quaker doctrines was tantamount to witchcraft. It was a good way to be banished from or executed in Puritan dominions. But the shape of the colonies changed rapidly in the 18th century. Religious groups of all sorts streamed across the Atlantic. There were Anglicans and Lutherans, Presbyterians and Moravians, Mennonites and Dunkers, and even some Catholics, Jews, and Muslims. Quakers grew in number and respect. They became a power in Pennsylvania, and one of their most talented sons, Benjamin West, embarked on a career that the Puritans would have denounced. He began sketching and painting representations of Jesus. West saw more of America and the world than did most Americans. He was born in Pennsylvania in 1738, was supposedly taught by Indians to paint, trained in Philadelphia in the 1750s, and then became a successful portrait painter in New York City. He then reversed the usual migratory pattern, traveling east to Europe in the early 1760s. He soaked up the art and architecture of Italy and England, and gained fame for The Death of General Wolfe, 1771, and then decades later for Death on a Pale Horse, 1817. West joined the European art world by trying his hand at the classic scenes of European Christian art, the Nativity, the Holy Family, Christ blessing little children, the raising of Lazarus, and the Last Supper. His most striking design was Wise Men's Offering from 1794. An almost blinding light radiates from the baby Jesus, while the three wise men with dark complexions place their gifts at the babe's feet. As brilliant as he was, West went unappreciated in America. In the 18th century, no American on the continent witnessed his Christ art. None viewed the whites, pinks, grays, browns, reds, and blacks that made up the sacred's skin, clothes, and hair. In England, he was heralded by none other than King George III, the tyrant against whom the American colonists rebelled. George III commissioned West to develop his most impressive iconography at St. George's Chapel in Windsor Castle. There he created new stained glass windows of Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. West's experience reflected where Jesus stood as a visual presence in revolutionary America. Portrayals of him came from outsiders, and if one wanted to gain notoriety for it, one pretty much had to leave. There were a host of reasons that West's art was foreign to America. Even as the colonies by the time of the Revolution had expanded in territory to more than 300,000 square miles, had grown tenfold in population to about 2.5 million, and were grinding down some 500,000 slaves with back-breaking labor, the colonies were still colonies. They were still beholden to Great Britain, provincial compared to European cities, and far behind the English in manufacturing and transportation capabilities. There was hardly a leisure or middle class that would have time or money to see such art. Iconoclasm was not dead either. It remained a powerful force, and many Protestants continued to damn Jesus' icons as insidious expressions of the apostate Catholic Church. But under the river, the riverbed was moving. Puritan iconoclasm was an effort to control religious ideas. It worked for a time, but then backfired. With no reigning sacred image, Americans high and low, male and female, red, white, and black, 
created their own. Those who wanted to see Jesus were so desperate that they began witnessing him in their dreams and experiences. An age of visions and visionaries replaced the era of iconoclasm and iconoclasts, and an egalitarian spiritual revolution overwhelmed the colonies just as much as a political one did. Whiteness never dominated these visions of Jesus, and many of the visionaries were not white themselves. Native Americans and a new set of Protestant missionaries fixated on the redness of Christ, especially his bloodied and broken body. A growing number of African-American Christians turned him into a universal and impartial Savior who stood beyond and called against the confines of bondage. White Protestants, in turn, transformed him into a God of liberty for themselves, but not necessarily for others.